A Tricky Kid Media original presentation distributed by iHeartRadio. Calling all Gen Xers. Were you born in the 1970s or early 80s? Have memories of getting up early to watch cartoons on Saturday mornings? If you can name all of the original MTV VJs without hesitation, you have found your podcast. Hosted by filmmaker, DJ, and lover of all things analog, Roy Turner. As we take you back to a simpler time of your biggest concern was asking Santa for an Atari or Nintendo for Christmas. We bring you all the spoils of being a kid in the generation of excess and a teenager heading towards a new millennium with all the music, games, movies, and events that shaped us proudly as Generation X as we celebrate growing up 80s and groomed in the 90s. As part of our Growing Up 80s series, we've been doing 40th anniversaries, but now it's the fourth year we're doing 1983, and as part of our films of 1983, the one movie we have to see in the theater for the 40th anniversary from 1983 is the hallmark of my childhood. For my ninth birthday, my mom took me to see Return of the Jedi in a very unique theater in Little Rock, Arkansas. Return for the climactic clash between the forces of good and evil. Return to a galaxy far, far away. Return of the Jedi. The next chapter in the continuing Star Wars saga. The battle for freedom rages on. The heart of a hero. The courage of a rebel. The strength of a leader. The loyalty of comrades. The power of the Force. The cunning of the enemy. A destiny revealed. It is Darth Vader, my father. A legend fulfilled. An epic of heroes, villains, and aliens from a thousand worlds. Major Crap! The quest continues. The circle closes. The saga lives on. Return of the Jedi begins May 25th at a theater in your galaxy. And that was the original trailer that you just heard. Uh, from 1983, man. Uh, and how cool is that? I was going to do a the updated one because obviously there's a, a new trailer that's you know celebrating the, the, the 40th anniversary of Return of the Jedi. But I wanted you to hear the original one because the newer one, um, it assumes you've already have seen the film, which I'm, I'm also assuming. So no, uh, so if you haven't seen it, this is where, spoiler alert here, so that's why I didn't include that one, because it, it gives away the film. I mean, it completely gives it away. And, and I also still wanted you to be able to hear, you know, the original. 
absolutely joyful. We have recreated that moment. We have just returned from the film. Please welcome my mom, who took me to see Return of the Jedi 40 years later. I take her. We're both wear, sitting here wearing our brand new Star Wars shirts and wearing our Star Wars socks. How cool is that? We didn't do podcasts in 83. I feel like the very first thing is you would have questions about what we just saw. First time you've seen it since 1983, is that right? Mm -hmm. So they had to be it for the first time, right? It was pretty In much, sense, yeah. Without ever seeing Star Wars, the mythology of it. A lightsaber doesn't exist, but you know what it is when you see one. If you had to explain to somebody what the story is, do you think you could have done it? Well, I always kind of knew a certain part of it. And I think the ones that were talked about the most, Luke and his father and Leah being his sister. What, was there any revelations in 1997 for the 20th anniversary? I didn't remember the Emperor. Like I thought Darth Vader was the main dude. I didn't remember him being a servant to somebody else. I guess because I had heard so much about it. I want to walk us through the whole thing. I technically did see Star Wars, the first one, even though it came out in 77. Back then, if a movie was a hit, it would be in the theater for a really long time. And mm -hmm. this one, especially being a phenomenon, was in the theater for like uh, over a year after its release. And I can remember, I'm like four years old. Nikki was super obsessed with the movie Grease around that time, or still in the theater. We were going to pick her up, but we were early. We snuck in to see Star Wars, and we were only there for a brief time until her movie let out. Mm -hmm. And there was a scene in Star Wars, the garbage compactor scene, okay? The walls were closing in, they're in trash, and there's shit coming out of the water. It freaked me out. It had an impression on me. Mm -hmm. it, when The Empire Strikes Back comes out, this was actually where my card collecting began, before baseball cards, because you could buy these trading cards. I hadn't seen the movie Empire Strikes Back. How I learned the story of The Empire Strikes Back was through these movie cards. Oh, okay. I would collect the movie cards. Whenever we watched the film tonight, you leaned over and said, remember that? You were talking about the Millennium Falcon. Mm -hmm. You getting that for me was a huge, huge deal, but it had to have been a moment for you. What are, what are your memories about, about that? Well, I don't want to bust your bubble, but it wasn't brand new. Uh, <laughs> it was a church thing. They had all these toys and you could go in and browse around for your kids for Christmas. And I saw that and I said, yeah, I gotta have that. What was co cool about it, it actually wasn't like the Millennium Falcon toy. It was a model set. I can remember trying to sh shove the action figure into the cockpit but it wasn't like I was any less disappointed. Oh, you, you know, were really excited about yeah. it. Yeah. But what's so interesting, though, is that technically I hadn't seen the movie. So now leading up to Return of the Jedi, every comic book I read, the back photo was the cover of Return of the Jedi. Mm -hmm. And just something about it was like, oh, my God, they're making another one, you know? And then there was this lead up where you would go to Burger King and collecting those glasses. Then there was the Atari game. Yes. There was something about that era. I remember getting the speed bikes that we saw in Return of the Jedi mm -hmm. tonight. Mm -hmm. I remember getting those for my birthday. I remember getting 
it's not at at Walker. It's the two-legged one where it has the cockpit mm -hmm. and they, they do that thing where the two logs come in and they smash it. Mm -hmm. And that came in a box almost as tall as I was. I think that picture that Nikki took on Christmas morning where it's only our faces. I don't know why she chose not to include the gift. I think that's what I'm opening. What are your memories of actually going to the theater, you and I, to see it? Well, the main thing I remember is how excited you were. And, you know, you were going to go to that round theater in Little Rock, and which you thought was the greatest thing in the world. And it was pretty unique, too. My birthday was in March. The movie didn't come out till May. I have this connection to it with my birthday. Mm -hmm. But I actually saw it almost two months after my birthday, but it seemed like it was combined. Mm -hmm. The theater we saw it at tonight is a very special theater. We go there every year to see It's a Wonderful Life at yeah, Christmas time. Yeah, yeah. And it's in within walking distance. And today on Star Wars Day, for six bucks a movie, or you could buy a ticket to all three of the originals for 15. We got there for the finale because it was about Return of the Jedi today. We saw Return of the Jedi in 83 at this theater called the Round Theater by Sterling's over on Asher Avenue. Mm -hmm. Why did we call it that? Because it was round. <laughs> and so, it was very unique looking. To this day, I've never seen another like it. This very unique panoramic theater. It wrapped like in a 180 degree semicircle. And the building itself was unique. It looked like a coliseum. This theater showed one movie Yep. on that sure one did. unique screen. Mm -hmm. Movies even back then would only be at the theater for about three months, three to five months. This round theater, when they would get a movie in, they would show that one movie for an entire year. Mm -hmm. They yeah. only changed the movie once a year. So when you drove by it, you were used to seeing those words on that for a year of your life. When you're eight, nine years old, that's forever. It was the second time I'd been to that theater. I saw Tootsie with Dustin Hoffman. And then I remember that driving by one day, it no longer said Tootsie out there. It said Return of the Jedi. Mm -hmm. While you reminisce about your first kiss on a waterbed after a long night at the skating rink, we're going to take a quick break to fix the TV antenna and hear from these great sponsors. Growing up 80s and groomed in the 90s isn't just the name of this podcast. It's also the title of a forthcoming docuseries currently in production, directed by our host Roy Turner, chronicling real events in his personal life of growing up 80s in a small town in Arkansas. Stay tuned for release dates and premiere party information. Inquire within about investment opportunities on our website at tricky-kid.com. Our good friend Tiffany, uh, 80s superstar, is coming to the Lava Cantina in the Colony here just north of Dallas, just up the road from us here in Frisco. Uh, this coming Saturday, May the 13th, the night before Mother's Day, would be a great Mother's Day gift, and we're going to be out there rocking again with our old pal Tiffany. Of course, you know her from all her big hits. Uh, of course, like I think we're alone now and, and all that stuff, but man, she has a lot more. Uh, she has a new album out called Shadows. 
and which is a follow-up to her amazing record called Pieces of Me. And here is Tiffany herself to tell you all about it. I'm here with my friend Roy. He is talking all things Pieces of Me. This is Tiffany here. To always, always tune in to Tricky Kid Radio with Roy Turner. And make sure to follow along on Twitter at growing underscore up 80s for the latest in all of our 80s and 90s themed events and special guests. So I was inspired to do a little digging uh, about that theater because it's meant so much to me over the years. And, and it's so funny because I'm, I'm not, I don't know why, I guess I'm just still not an internet specific person. Like, uh, I guess because I don't equate that time in the round theater as being you know, something you could look up on the internet, you know, I'm, I'm separated from that. Like if, if something that, that happened to me in my life that was important around, you know, in the 2000s or later, I'd go, oh yeah, let's, let's look that up. But it's just like, oh yeah, wait a minute. I could just Google the round theater or Little Rock or at the corner of Ashton University in the 80s. And I've done that. And so I wanted to share with you what uh, I was able to find. And uh, a couple of fun facts, you know, of course, we called it the Round Theater. And I, I think, you know, we probably weren't the only ones. I think if I were to refer to the Round Theater to people that are my age that grew up at that time in that area, they would know what I was talking about. And maybe they called it that, too. I don't know if I've ever heard anybody else call it that. I'm just saying, you know. But the official title is the UA Cinema 150. And it opened in August of 1968. Uh, with uh, with the odd couple, and we mentioned how it looked like a freaking coliseum. It act the, the the enormous dome roof, and a hundred and twenty degree curved screen was seventy feet wide. Uh, in addition to standard thirty five millimeter, it also showed seventy millimeter films in D one fifty formats. Hence, UA Cinema one fifty. When this happens, a large bl blue Curvalon is used. And even if I only saw Return of the Jedi with my mom, and that was our only single visit, this place plays such a, a heavy presence in my childhood and, and lore. But it's more than that. I, I went there at least a half a dozen times. Uh, all Every time was very, very unique. That whole area was very, very unique and very, very special. And this is kind of our love letter to that. And that was the strip mall behind it called University Plaza. Right. Yeah. Wasn't that where the Mexican restaurant was? Well, there's two Mexican restaurants in our folklore course. There's Brown's Mexican well, restaurant yeah. up University. Right. But the one that was there in the strip mall was Casa Bonita. Oh, that's right. Casa Bonita. You guys love that little room you could play in and you got the candy and you guys love and once again, <laughs> I was now inspired to do do a little bit of digging. And like I mentioned just now about the UA50, I would have never thought, oh yeah, I can just Google Casa Bonita. Now, keep in mind, if you're not from Little Rock, and I had no idea about the South Park episode, my wife went to school in Boulder, and so she was telling me there's actually a location in Denver, and but that's not that that came after this I did some digging just because I always wanted to see if I could find some pictures of the interiors of like my mom just mentioned like this treasure room because if you were a kid and they came to your table they would give you these coins and you could go into the treasure room I mean it just it literally was heaven on earth and I, and I hope that no matter what I mean even if it was you know 
just a figment of my childhood imagination in terms of its specialty, whatever, that's enough. But what's great to, to learn after all these years that it wasn't just that. These were incredibly special places with high volume and people would come from all over to you know to to enjoy and patronize and there's so many people out there that miss it i during my research i found out that there's actual facebook groups dedicated to bringing it back somehow and uh up and so then during my research i stumbled upon this it's nostalgic, unique, and ingrained in the memories of millions of Arkansans. It's Casa Bonita. People would line around to come. Yeah, all the way down the hall. The Little Rock Casa Bonita location opened in 1969 at the corner of University and Asher Avenue. Little Rock's Casa Bonita eventually becoming one of the highest volume Mexican restaurants in the United States. People from across Arkansas came to find new exciting rooms to explore, to raise the flag, to let servers know they were ready for more food, and to walk away with what felt like gold from that beloved treasure room. A waiter would go to the table and there was a child there they'd give them a candy money. For years, groups formed trying to somehow get it back, but nothing ever happened. Now there's renewed hope. Food blogger Kevin Shalin says with the creators of South Park buying the Denver location, it could reinvigorate the brand. As Shalin says, there's just no place quite like Casa Bonita. And if you remember a little bit later on, next door to Casa Bonita, show you the, the sign of the times, in a... a literally a hair metal accessory store in the height of MTV called Armadillo Hands. I remember that. And remember how I had, I was so still obsessed with Motley. I got the glove and the studded thing <laughs> and all that yeah, and all yeah. that. But I do remember that. It's just part of the fabric of this special place we've talked about a lot called Grayback. Right. So right. It, it really, those two cosmic things happening. I do have a couple of questions. What did you think of the acting? <laughs> the act is pretty clumsy and kind of cringy at times. <laughs> Let's keep, keep on. In 1977, the movie was made with unknowns. Harrison Ford was not a star. Carrie Fisher was not a star. She was Debbie Reynolds' daughter. And of course, Mark Hamill. These were all unknowns. Mm -hmm. So they really weren't actors. In fact, the guy that plays C-3PO, Anthony Daniels, mm -hmm. talks about how he's, you know, he was this Shakespearean actor in London. Why would he want to do this? The person up for the role of Han Solo was Al Pacino, and he turned it down, and there's this big joke. Whenever he sees Harrison Ford, he says, I gave him his career by turning it down. Mark Hamill did pretty good in certain spots. Harrison Ford was a little wooden in, in a yeah. sense. How in the hell do you tell who is shooting who and who's on what side? <laughs> <laughs> when they're doing all this stuff, they're going as fast as they can, they're shooting each other, they're they're you know, things are exploding. I mean it's a whole bunch going on. I think it's the colorful guys are clearly the Rebel <laughs> Alliance and the guys that are all in the drab and Black and the gray, that's the Empire. Return of the Jedi invent a new storyline for children. It, that A lot of people were turned off by the Ewoks. I was in the perfect age range for the Ewoks. I love the Ewoks still.
What did you think about the Ewoks? Were you anticipating them? Had you remembered that part? Mm -hmm. But when I look back at it, I don't think it's age poorly. I think it's perfect. Why was Han Solo frozen in carbon? Han Solo is a smuggler. Jabba the Hutt is this gangster. And he loaned money, or I guess he lost it in a card game, something or another, okay? A bounty hunter named Boba Fett works for Jabba the Hutt. Fett is hired to go collect oh, Han see. Solo. I see. To bring him back to Jabba, all right, right? right? But instead of him being in a jail or chained and all this up, uh -huh. why was he frozen in carbon? That's the question. Right. Here's the answer. This is where the politics directly affected. Because of the success of Star Wars, he had grown such a big head that he was trying to negotiate his contract. Well, what do we do? Wouldn't it be so great if somehow we could just like take like a remote control and just hit pause on Harrison Ford? And then if everything works out well, then we'll hit play on Harrison Ford. Mm-hmm. So him being frozen in carbonite was a way where if he didn't come back to set, they could just kill him off or keep it open-ended. Some of the clunky acting and storytelling, why people were shouting certain things. That whole thing with Admiral Ackbar, yeah, it looks like a walrus. Everybody waits for him to go, it's a trap! Especially there at the end. Clunkiness, that she's his brother, they kiss in Star Wars. The original title of the film mm -hmm. was Revenge of the Jedi. Before it was released in theaters, why did they change it from Revenge to Return? Because they weren't coming back for revenge. They were coming back to get their whatever it's called. Jedi is a religion. Revenge is against the Jedi code. Uh, revenge of the Jedi is an oxymoron. Kind of like how karate is taught as defense only. Oh, okay. There were posters made, caught it, kind of at the zero. Those original promotional posters that never got all of them weren't destroyed. The Revenge of the Jedi poster, it's worth a lot of money. In 1997, the movies were back in the theater for the first time since 1983. Under the premise of special edition. Back then, you had to convince the to see it at the theater. You've seen that movie already a hundred times. Why well, is this important? We learned he had changed a few things. The most controversial is in Return of the Jedi. There at the end. The thing that pisses people off the most is when you see Alec Guinness that played Obi-Wan Kenobi. Of course, Yoda. But the original actor that's all covered in the white crust that, that played Darth Vader. Mm -hmm. Can't think of his name right now at the Round Theater in 1983, in that scene, that's who you see. Who did you see tonight? I have no idea. Okay, you saw Hayden Christensen, who wasn't even born in 1983. By the time we get to the 2005 film, we now have a 25-year-old Hayden Christensen. So we know what he looks like. And his reasoning was, we don't really know what this crusty old guy, you may think to yourself, well, who the hell is that? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? What really kind of clicked in my mind, and I've always thought this, that Darth Vader was black. 
he's voiced by a black guy. Yeah, see, yeah. because of James and Earl Jones. Okay. So when they took he took all that off, I was looking at it and I was thinking, uh, that doesn't look right. <laughs> <laughs> That's a perfect setup for this. Whenever an African-American character, hero or villain, was introduced, usually by white artists and writers, they got slapped with racist names that singled them out as Negroes. Lando Calrissian is a positive role model in the realm of science fiction fantasy. Fuck Lando Calrissian, Uncle Tom, nigga. Only some white boy got to invoke the Holy Trilogy. Bust this. Those movies are about how the white man keeps the brother man down even in a galaxy far, far away. Check this shit. You got Cracker Farm Boy, Luke Skywalker, Nazi Poster Boy, blonde hair, blue eyes. And then you got Darth Vader, the blackest brother in the galaxy. Vader, he's a spiritual brother, down with the Force and all that good shit. Then there's Cracker Skywalker. Gets his hands on a lightsaber, and the boy decides he's gonna run the fucking universe. And Jedi's the most insulting installment. Because Vader's beautiful black visage is sullied when he pulls off his mask to reveal a feeble, crusty old white man. They're trying to tell us that deep inside, we all wants to be white. The show doesn't really incorporate or it doesn't bother with race, which is great. That's kind yeah, of the point. Yeah. It's a joke, of course. <laughs> Obviously, this is parody. And, right, was, right. and you would be really reaching. And that's the whole point. He's making fun of people overreaching. What's changed since 1983? The word cosplay was not in our vernacular. I don't know why it didn't occur to anybody to dress up in 1983. <laughs> but there were people dressed up today. The slave Leia, which, of course, just lends itself to cosplay now, yeah. right? Oh yeah, I can and imagine. So yeah. the nerdy girls, as we saw that fun couple up front, that young uh -huh. couple up front tonight, uh -huh. they do the Princess Leia, the proper one, uh -huh. okay? Uh -huh. The more provocative girls, they go as Slave Leia. There's right, an excuse yeah. to show off the bod. We purposely <laughs> bought Star Wars clothes to wear. To bring full circle. Unthinkably in 2015, he had sold it all to Disney and Disney was now going to come out with seven, eight, and nine. Right. We're gonna get to see the trailer for the new Star Wars movie. This big fan convention called Star Wars Celebration. And I happen to be, there's, as a member of the press, so we waited 16 years for, for between Return of the Jedi and episode one, but to continue what happened after what we saw tonight, we waited from 83 to 2015. I'm gonna show you a whole new cast, a whole new story. It's called The Force Awakens.
Now, this is the voice of my childhood hero. This is Luke Skywalker. We hadn't heard that in 32 years. Remember that scene when he reveals to her, she's his sister, mm -hmm. and he says, do you remember anything about your mother? He says, the force runs deep in my family. I have this power. Mm -hmm. My dad has it. Mm -hmm. and my sister has it. And now you have it. That's the end of the story. You're not expecting any of the old cat. And so you're like, is that the Millennium Falcon? Like what? You're seeing a land speeder. That thing that trapped at the end of Return of the Jedi. That fleet that Lando Calrissian shot down. He goes, Chewie, we're home. Mm -hmm. Suddenly to see Harrison Ford, the one guy especially you're not going to see because he doesn't even go to Comic-Con. I'm right at the lip of the stage. Mm -hmm. I'm hearing behind me a wall of sound that you couldn't possibly imagine. Adult grown men weeping. And when they showed it the second time, out, Mark, out walked Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher, and Anthony Daniels. Really? It is one of the most emotional reactions I have ever been a part of in my entire life. It oh, was yeah. absolutely magic. Yeah. There is now a show called The Book of Boba Fett that picks up right where Return of the Jedi left off, where Jabba the Hutt is taking them out to the desert and they're gonna drop them in that monster. That's where Boba Fett gets eaten. Starts with him in the bowels. You see like dead stormtroopers and shit and he climbs out of it. So Boba Fett actually survives. We've been waiting on that since 1983. That we waiting on that for 39 years. Oh my God. So how cool is that, right? <laughs> yeah. In closing, I wanted to say it was special. You were taking me to see this movie that you would not have gone to see on your own. You didn't realize that this is going to go on the Mount Rushmore. I wanted to express my gratitude to you for giving that to me. Something I never forgot. I still think about it all the time. So for us to re revisit it on its 40th anniversary, it was something we absolutely had to do. We we didn't just go to a movie tonight. We oh, put a bow on something been between us. I could not have imagined letting this anniversary go without celebrating proper. And we did it on May the 4th. And I, that's what I want to say. May the May the 4th be with you all of you out there that are listening. Growing Up 80s and Groomed in the 90s is produced by Tricky Kid Media and distributed by iHeartRadio. Make sure to download the iHeartRadio app so you can feel like a member of the Jetsons and be part of the future as well as the past.